If you have a Bible, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 6. So we're going to start a series today on spiritual warfare. So we'll begin reading in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. And Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And let's pray. Father, I just ask, Lord, that you'll minister to all of us today. Open our eyes to see the power that you have given us, the power of your might, but also, Lord, that we have an enemy to face that is real and that has power himself, but that we can defeat through the armor you've given us. And we just thank you that you'll do that for us today and that you're here meeting with us and that your spirit will minister unto us and your voice will hear as we hear your word. And we do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just had a conversation with my sister and she lives out of state. She didn't know what I was preaching and I already did, but she said she's concerned about this person that's going to be their new pastor at their church because he kind of, in her mind, she said she's going to talk to him. It might not have been as bad as it seemed, but in her mind, he was downplaying the role that the devil and the influence that the devil can have on people's lives, his role and his power. And his attitude was more like, we just need to ignore him. He's a defeated foe. All we need to do is worship God, concentrate on him, and everything will take care of itself. And sadly, that is the attitude of a lot of Christians today. They just act like the devil's not around, like he's not really the one involved in a lot of the problems and issues, and they're dealing with things in a human way, or from a scientific way, or from the world's philosophy and psychology. That's the way they deal with it. And our culture, though, it's permeated, especially in America, of demonic influence. They need to be recognized, and they aren't a lot of times. But the media, the entertainment is filled with the occult. And so a lot of times, we don't want to recognize the influence that the devil is having on our lives. I'm talking about our lives here and in our family. So, you know, somebody's like, you know, I've got a child or teenager at school, and they're exhibiting morose, depressed behavior. And so at school, they suggest, you know, that I give them medication and counseling. And some people would be like, well, what's wrong with that? I think I'll give that a try. Not that I know that anybody in here is doing that. Or someone else will say, you know, I sit down to read my Bible, but every time I do, I fall asleep. And so I'm just going to quit doing it. It's a waste of time. It's just not getting me anywhere. Or someone else, I mean, you could make all your different scenarios, right? 
Or someone else could say, hey, I decided as of now, and I've done this several times, not me, but a person saying this, that I'm going to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And every time I decide that, she goes ballistic. She's intolerable. I can't live with her. And so I'm just not messing with that anymore. I'm going to leave that alone, right? Well, listen, if we don't acknowledge our enemy and his activity, how can you successfully fight him if you're not going to recognize and resist our enemy? You know, Billy Graham used to tell this story of a boxer. He's in the ring, and he is just getting pummeled, bruised, and he's got blood all over him. And finally, he's hanging over the edge of the ring, and he tells the trainer, he says, man, throw in the towel. So this guy's killing me. And the trainer tells him, he said, oh, no, he's not. He's not even hitting you. He hasn't laid the glove on you. And the guy wipes the blood away from his eye. Then he goes, well, then I wish you'd watch the referee because somebody's hitting me. <laughs> so the point is, I mean, we look at our lives, we look at other people's lives, and we definitely look at the world, and something's influencing stuff. Somebody's getting hit. Somebody's doing it, right? And to deny that truth is to deny something that the Bible makes clear. We are not to deny the reality of Satan or his power or his great craft and subtlety, right? Because we have a real, wicked, personal foe. So we just read in Ephesians 6 there that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against demonic forces. And we have to know the, the strength and the power and the craft of the enemy we're fighting because failure to do so, failure to acknowledge that and to bury your head in the sand is only going to lead to defeat. You know, when Hitler and Nazi Germany were rising to power, there was only one lone voice crying out a warning in England. And who was that? Winston Churchill. And you know what was happening is he was receiving top secret information. He had somebody within the service of England that knew what was going on in Germany. He's feeding Winston Churchill all this information about how they're building up their armaments, how they're getting planes ready to go, how they're retooling their factories. Well, that was information that the government officials knew, the prime minister knew, but the prime minister was burying that information from the public. And so I guess he was just hoping Hitler would just go away or not end up being the demonic ruler and dictator that he was, but he was just trying to ignore it. And the public went on in a happy stupor, didn't they? Because they were tired of war. They lost a lot of men in that First World War, tired of war. They just wanted to go on living their lives, enjoying their families, building their homes. But guess what happened? When the enemy manifested his true nature, his true intentions and power, England was not prepared for him, and they were almost defeated. And I would add on that, that was because of a lot of Christians praying in that nation, because it was, had to be God that kept them from being wiped out. Hitler could have easily done it. But Paul's warning us here. He's saying, be strong in the Lord. That's the first thing we see there in verse 10, isn't it? Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord. Don't rely, he's saying, on your power, your ability so we better be prepared, and he goes on to say, not just strong in the Lord, but in the power of his might, his resurrection power, and that's the only power that can defeat the devil. So we don't want to underestimate him or his foes. If you want to put it like this, Paul is giving us heaven's intelligent report, intelligence report here in Ephesians 6. He's the apostolic Winston Churchill, if I can say that right. 
And so this is no time to rest, ignore the enemy or his forces, because the devil in his kingdom, it is like no insignificant army that we don't have to be worried about. They're called, in verse 12, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, wicked spiritual forces in high places, and they are coming after you and me with all power and craft. On the positive side, our great God has not left us defenseless, though, has he? Right? He's supernaturally equipped us. That's what this chapter is all about, this section in this passage. But listen, he's given us the armor to wear that we don't have to be overcome by our enemy. But what if we don't put it on? What if we neglect the armor he's given us? Can we blame God then for the troubles, the struggles, the results that we have? If we leave our weapons hanging on the wall and go forth in our day in our own strength with no protection, can we tell God, man, that's not fair what you just put me through today? And he might be like, well, why didn't you strap that armor on when you got up in the morning? That might be the question. So he wants to encourage us through this study to strap on the weapons he's graciously given us so we can stand and walk in the victory he's given us. That's what God wants. It's interesting to me where God has placed this exhortation. It's an exhortation with commands in Ephesians on spiritual warfare. So, you know, we talked, it hasn't been that long ago, we had our series about our new identity in Christ. And what we saw, we didn't go all the way through everything up to this present point in chapter 6. But starting in chapter 4, he's encouraging them based on the fact that they've been adopted, predestinated, redeemed by the blood. They're God's children, and they have all this given to them. Then in chapter 4, he starts saying, this is how you live it out. And he talks at the beginning about you should have unity in your body. He talks about that, unity in the body. And then he starts talking about the ethics, about the putting on, the taking off and the putting on, putting off the old man, putting on the new man. Tells them to be filled with the Spirit. Why? Be filled as a command. Be filled with the Spirit because then he goes on to say he talks about husband and wife relationships. So that husbands be filled with the Spirit so husbands can love their wives. So that wives can submit to their husbands. So that children can obey their parents. And so that slaves can lovingly submit to their masters and serve them with joy. That's what we're brought up to here when we come to Ephesians 6.10. And so that just sounds on the surface like a spiritual utopia, right? Christians walking in love and joy, filled with the Spirit, with no struggles. And, and so we're getting here. Paul's telling us, listen, you think, and I know we don't, but do you think the devil is just going to sit back while you effortlessly walk in godliness and not oppose that in all these areas? Listen, if you haven't figured it out yet, he is going to contend for every inch he is going to fight us for every square inch that God has given you. And him and his forces are doing all they can to discourage us, defeat us, cause us to fall away. And ultimately, what's their goal? To destroy us as a church and as individuals. You and your family. Everyone sitting in here and their family. That is the devil's ultimate goal. And there's only one way we're going to be able to stand in the end. And I'll probably say this a dozen times through this message, and that is putting on the whole armor of God daily in his strength, in his mighty power. But the other reason I look at the reason Paul put this at the end, it's the climax to his letter. 
It's what he wants to emphasize the most. It's what he wants all of us to remember. So people that study speeches, they will tell you that what you say at the end, it better be good because that's the most that people are going to remember. They'll remember what you say at the beginning, if you put them to sleep or not. And they'll remember what you say at the end, all the stuff in the middle they may or may not remember. But they're generally going to remember the last thing you say. And so Paul is telling them, look, I'm putting some emphasis on this. If you all don't put on your armor, don't walk in the power of God's might, then everything else I said will never work. You'll never realize it. Christianity will not be filled with churches, homes, and individual lives that are walking in victory. All of what I said will be for nothing. So he's putting that here at the end. He wants us to remember how crucial to our Christian life this spiritual warfare that's coming all of our way is. And that's what he's doing here. And that's why, really, God has laid this on my heart. He just laid this on my heart. I was praying about what to preach on, and I could have gone. i got a dozen different directions I'd like to go. But the Lord just laid this on my heart in light of what we're talking about, remember, and we have a new year coming on, because we're going to be facing some spiritual conflicts coming our way that are great. Great spiritual conflicts. And we need to understand our foe and what God has given us to defeat him so that when all the smoke's cleared and all the battles are done, like Paul says, that we here as a church and individuals, all of us here, can be left doing what? Standing. We'll be standing. Now, there may be some dents in our helmet. We may have some burn marks on our shield, and we ought to have blood dripping off our sword, so to speak, right? But we can be standing, and we can say like Paul said at the end of his life. We should all be able to say this. This should be what we're looking forward to. I have fought a good fight. So he had to fight a good fight. He knows what he's talking about. He says, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And he says, henceforth, this battle's done. He's ready to hang up his armor because his head's getting ready to get chopped off. And he says, but henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. But he says, not just me. He says, not me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. And that's all of us, is it not? Amen. Are you looking forward to his appearing? Then it's worth the battle to get to that point. So let's look back here in verse 10. Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And that is a command, be strong in the Lord. You know, it's the same command that's given to Joshua four times at the beginning of Joshua 1. Be strong and courageous. Moses told him that. The Lord told him that four times before he's getting ready to go into battle. And that's what Paul's saying here. We have got to be strong. It's only Paul adds in this what that Joshua didn't get, but it was understood. In the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. He is our source. Because the strength we need is not inherent in ourselves. We don't have it just naturally given to us. We understand that, don't we? The strength has to come from outside of ourselves. We know that intellectually, but it's always a temptation for Christians to try to work out whatever struggle or problem or issue they're dealing with, with their own wisdom and ability. You know, I'm going to lecture the kids. Your kid's got a problem. Well, I'm going to lecture the kids and you leave it at that. Or I'm going to yell at my wife. You know, I'm going to get rid of the cat. You know, we got all our little smart ways and our abilities, and we think we're going to deal with the situation. 
when conflicts arise. But literally, the Bible says, you be made strong. In other words, we have to be made strong. You be strengthened. From where? And the answer Paul's saying is, in the Lord. It comes from our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our power and strength comes from. We have nothing to offer in this battle. Nothing to offer. We have responsibilities, but everything we have, our weapons, the power, it all comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, from the grace and the blood that was shed on that cross. That's where it all comes from, our union with Christ. So we say, I can do all things, but we don't put a period there, do we? Through Christ, who strengthens us. That is the key. And how is that power, strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, how is that manifested in us? How is that power manifested? Through the Holy Spirit. And Paul prayed that that inner power would be given to the Ephesians. So you're in 6. Just look back in chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. And Paul's saying, this is something I pray for you guys, and I am on my knees praying for it. For this cause, Paul says, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, give you something, according to the riches of his glory. He's not running out of power and strength. And what does he say? To be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That's where it happens, by his spirit in our inner man. And that's what Paul prays, that God would do that. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, above all that we ask or think, how? According to the power that works in who? In us, in you. Put your name in there. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And so that is the source of his mighty power. And do we really believe that? So we obtain that spiritual strength that we need to fight through prayer. And that is how Paul ends his section on spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6. He ends it talking and emphasizing about prayer. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So the strength of the Lord that we need, his mighty power, is obtained how? It's obtained by prayer. The power that's needed to make use of the whole armor of God. We need to pray and be filled with the Spirit, because all the armor of God, truth, righteousness, the gospel, salvation, faith, the word, those are all of our weapons. All of those are dead weapons unless they're energized by the mighty power of God. That's what has to energize them. And the only way to access that, I'm going to keep saying it, so maybe it'll finally get through, is by prayer. The only way we can access by praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So I would say, are you always praying in the Spirit so that you can walk and fight in the mighty power of God? And so for our church here, I would say, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? It's praying in tongues. It is. 
Paul said, I'll pray with my understanding and I'll pray in the spirit in 1 Corinthians 14. What's he talking about there? He's talking about praying in tongues. And does it do anything? Shouldn't even have to ask that question. But 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says this. He that speaks in an unknown tongue does what? Edifies himself. The word edify means builds himself up. Builds himself up in what? The power of the Lord, the power of the Holy Ghost, the power that you need. That's where it comes from, speaking in tongues. And Jude 20 says this, that you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So if you don't have the Holy Ghost, I'm saying it's a little bit of a hindrance there. A little bit of a hindrance having access to that power that God's provided for us. And so he says, be strong in the Lord. And that strength comes from our union with Christ and prayer, much prayer, fervent prayer, seeking prayer, and I would say tongues prayer. So we've talked about this. I am so glad that everyone here is beginning to read the Bible more. I mean, to me, I'll say the way I look at it, if you got a church that is reading their Bible on a regular basis, seriously reading their Bible and spending time praying and seeking the Lord, how can things not happen? How can you remain dead? It is impossible. And I would encourage all of us to keep on those reading plans. Keep reading that Bible. But also, take time to pray in tongues when you're driving. Like I talked about one time, when Paul was riding on those donkeys and walking from city to city, what in the world do you think he's doing that whole time? He is not watching his iPhone, looking at his GPS to get directions on how to get from Corinth up to Ephesus. He's praying. When he talks about he's praying for these churches, man, that guy had to spend a lot of time in prayer and intercession. When's he doing it? Well, he's got a lot of time in his travels. And so do we when we're driving on our car. Turn the radio off. You're driving from... Louisville to Frankfurt, or Shelbyville to Louisville, or just around Shelbyville, get lost. You can pray in the Spirit, or in your shower, whatever. Just That's what we need to do, though, to get us through to have that power that we need. And so how great is the strength that we receive from the Lord? How great is it? What does it tell us in verse 10? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That is the source, His mighty power. It's the same power that raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And Paul said, we need to have our eyes open to see we have access to the same power that raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. It's in this same book. Turn back a few chapters to chapter 1. And Brother Hamilton used to quote this verse all the time. It's a great verse. So Paul in Ephesians 1.15 says this, he says, Wherefore, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, he says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He didn't add on his donkey, but he could have. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may do what? May give unto you the spirit of wisdom, and there's a revelation that needs to be given in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Why? There's a purpose. That's what that that is there for. That you may know three things, the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in his saints. And what we want to get at today, 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power? He's running out of adjectives. Exceeding greatness 
of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. That's the exact same words we just read in Ephesians 6.10 that we're supposed to be strengthened in. His mighty power. He says you need to have your eyes open that you can see what that is and that it is yours. And look what he goes on to say in verse 20. That's what this power did. He wrought in Christ that power, that Holy Spirit, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world to come, and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. But verse 19, Paul's saying, there is an exceeding greatness to this power. And he says he wants the church, and that includes us. That's all saints. He wants to have your eyes open that you can see what you have. It's a revelation that has to be given. It doesn't just come automatically because I confess Jesus is my Lord and Savior and got baptized. It doesn't come automatically or he wouldn't have had to pray this prayer. So it's something we need to seek the Lord. And it's a power that is above any power that can be named. That's what we just read. And it's been proven. It's a proven power, isn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ walked in dominion over demons while he was on this earth. And when he was in that grave, death could not hold him down. Our greatest foe, death. He was raised up from the dead, defeated by the power of God. And he's saying that is the power that resides within us. It's available to us, not just the apostles. And so back in Ephesians 6, in verse 11 there, he says, that is the power that we need for verse 11, to put on the whole armor of God, that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So we need his power to stand against the wiles of the devil, his schemes. That's what that word wiles means, his crafty, deceitful scheming. That's how he works against us. It's not usually an in-your-face process. He schemes. You know, you all remember maybe when you were kids, and if you were kids and you didn't watch this, you're better off. But when I was a kid, I wasn't a Christian, and I'd watch old Wiley Coyote. Wiley. Where do you think he got his name from? <laughs> Biblical. The wiles of the devil. But he had his schemes to catch the roadrunner, didn't he? I mean, some of them were pretty ingenious. I'm like, who's the guy that sat around and thought that one up? But they never worked, did they? They never worked. The one thing I admired about old Wiley Coyote was he never gave up. Did he? Didn't matter how flattened he was with his last scheme, right? And that's the devil, isn't it? He doesn't give up. I'm telling you, you get victory over him in one area, he's coming at you somewhere else, isn't he? That's the way he is. He doesn't give up with his scheming, constantly out to defeat and destroy us. He's after us. He doesn't get tired. And the other thing is, he is not in a hurry. He's like the terrorist. They are not in a hurry to get over here and wipe us out because they know the one big boom they build up to it, that's all that needs to happen, right? They're not in any hurry, and he's not either. Sometimes he doesn't mind just taking his time working on you slowly, slowly, slowly into where you got your eyes are covered, you don't see what's going on, and all of a sudden he just lowers the boom, and that's the end of you. He's not in a hurry. So who is this devil? The wiles of the devil. And he's described in the Bible not just as a power, 
not just as an influence or not like as I had to argue in one of my classes at school. It's not just the absence of good. Evil is not the absence of good. Evil is an intelligent person coming after you. That's what evil is. It's not some abstract concept or philosophy, but evil is the devil is a personality. He's got power, strength, cunning, intelligence, all of that far beyond ours. Far beyond anyone in this room, anyone that has ever been born on this earth except the Lord Jesus Christ. And only in the power of the Lord and in the full armor of God can we stand against him. So the Bible describes him this way. He's a leader. It says he's a prince. He is called in Ephesians 2, we'll look at that in a minute here, the prince of the power of the air. He is a ruler over a kingdom. And it also says in Luke 11 that he is a strong man armed. And we'll talk about that, but he's no one to be messed with. A strong man armed. It also describes him as a roaring lion. Have you ever heard a lion roar? We went to the zoo out in San Diego and standing right next to a lion, and he eventually roared, I'm telling you, make your hair stand on your arm. It's frightening. So it says that's the way the devil is, a roaring lion. And sometimes your trials are that way, aren't they? They're frightening. You've got to rely on God to give you the courage and strength to get through it. And Revelation describes him as a great red dragon. And that paints a picture of someone that is fierce and frightening again, doesn't it? So it says that great red dragon is just sitting right in front of that woman ready to give birth to that man-child, and he is wanting to devour it. And when he gets frustrated with that purpose and he's sent down to the earth, what does it say? Ah, oh, he didn't just, I'm giving up now. Like I said, he's relentless. It says he came down to the earth then and makes war with the saints, those, it says, who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's his plan? To get them to quit on both of those. To give up obeying the Lord and to give up their testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how he's working on us. So this wicked, powerful, cunning leader is the prince of a vast kingdom. And he's got a host of fallen spirits. And they're not just out there aimlessly wandering about. They are structured. There's a structure and able to do his bidding. And that is who we're wrestling against. So verse 12, what does Paul say there? He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And he's making a contrast there. He says, don't think that this battle you're in, we think it is a lot of times, right? Like, I just don't like that guy. Or this person rubs me the wrong way. All these conflicts in my marriage with my children at work and all that other, we think it's flesh and blood. If it was just that, he's saying... We could deal with it maybe, right? But we're not dealing with just flesh and blood, someone that we're on equal footing with. Now, our fight is a wrestling match against an invisible but powerful kingdom. Powerful. And he uses the term wrestle there to tell us that it isn't going to be something that's done off in the distance. We're not shooting arrows and he's shooting arrows back at us. No, it's a close conflict, a wrestling match, a struggle that we're in. So you get in with the devil and you're trying to walk with the Lord, there's going to be grappling and twisting and struggling and you're going to feel his hot breath on you just like when you wrestle, if you've ever done that. And you can't let go. You can't quit. Because you do that in wrestling, buddy, and the other guy's got the advantage and you are out. 
They'll be pounding that mat saying, you're done. Paul says here in verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. Satan has rulers, principalities and powers within his kingdom. Rulers that have power. So the world system that we know, the world is governed by Satan and those that rule under him. So think about it. Structures and institutions that the world consists of are not sinful in and of themselves, are they? So the school system, the media, television, entertainment, and governments, they're not inherently evil, but they are run and maintained and influenced by people that are influenced by evil spirits. Spirits with superior intelligence, a leader, and structure. And this kingdom, this design, these spirits that are influencing all that happens in this world, they have one design, to undermine and destroy the kingdom of God on this earth. And so, listen, the people that run these organizations, though, they'd be offended if you went up to them and said, hey, you know, you're being influenced. This television show on homosexuality you're wanting to air now that you think is so nifty and whatever, that's the devil influencing you to do that, to influence all of society. They'd be highly offended. Telling me I got an evil spirit, that's why I want to put this show on. They don't think they're being controlled. But the Bible tells us that they are. Because 1 John 5, 19 says, the whole world outside of Christians lies in the wicked one, lying in his bosom. And he controls the kingdoms in this world and their glory, not just the governments, their glory. And that's what he tempted the Lord Jesus Christ with, offered that all to him. It's his to give because he controls them. He controls the people that are controlling them. So turn back to Ephesians 2, 2, and we'll see that. Well, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, And you has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. But here he talks about the sinner. This is us before we were Christians. He says, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So it's telling us there, this prince of the power of the air, that word for works is our word energio, which means he energizes. He gives energy, influence, power, demonic power to these people that walk the sons of disobedience. That was us. And that determines what it says at the beginning there, the course of this world. So the children of disobedience, they're carrying out his plans through these spirits that he has influence. So do I have to say here, preach everything at once, that God is ultimately sovereign and the devil and his spirits and everything that happens in this world is ultimately like a puppet on a string? But nonetheless, <laughs> he is still called the prince of this world. And it still says all the world lies in the wicked one, does it not? So let's see how this works. Somebody might be thinking, man, that's like a pretty bold thing to be saying there, that all oh, these people are being influenced by spirits. Well, if you put something there in Ephesians 6 and turn back to 1 Kings, please. Here we get a little glimpse behind the veil. 1 Kings 22. 
1 Kings 22, beginning in verse 19. So we have Jehoshaphat and Ahab are going to fight the king of Syria. And Ahab doesn't like the prophecy that he's getting. And Jehoshaphat's like, man, isn't there a true prophet of God? And here's what this true prophet of God has to say to Ahab, beginning in verse 19. And he said, this prophet, hear therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, how? And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you shall persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. So Ahab standing there, all he hears is this prophet is prophesying to him. He doesn't know the behind the scenes, but God has sent this evil spirit into that person that is giving direction and determining the course of events, is he not? And that's what the devil is doing through all these people that head up government, entertainment, media, whatever you want to say. So we have to understand that everything coming at us through the media, through entertainment industry, through music, through the government programs, ideology, school curriculums, trends in society, it is not people and their ideas that are coming up with this stuff that's antichrist against the Lord, right? It's spirits working through them. A network, powerful intelligence. They have a purpose in what they're doing. And what they're doing through its philosophy, the world, its entertainment and ethics are demonically inspired and designed to drag men in this world unwittingly into hell. The world doesn't realize what's happening to us. And that's what we're benefiting from by reading Ephesians 6. Paul's given us, like I said, an inside intelligence report on what's going on here. This is how our foe operates. And this is how we can stand against him because the world will not stand against him. They'll all be joining forces with him. Coming up shortly. It's called the Great Tribulation and the Mark of the Beast. So they're ignorant. They're ignorant of their sin. They're ignorant of the wickedness of their heart. And they're ignorant of the judgment that's coming on them. Most people, if you walk out in society and you ask them, do you think you're a good person? Almost everybody will tell you yes. Because they don't think they're as bad as Hitler. They'll tell you yes. But they're ignorant, aren't they? But Paul wrote and he said, we, you, are not ignorant of Satan's devices and his schemes. And look back in Ephesians 6 and verse 12. So we said we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, rulers, against powers. And he goes on to say there, against the rulers of the darkness of the world. I think it'd be better translated, the world rulers of this darkness. So the Bible clearly teaches, and Paul teaches it twice here in this book, that the world is in darkness. In Ephesians 4.18, if you can just look back there, I don't even have to turn my page. We talked about this. Paul is talking about the Gentile, the sinner, the person that doesn't know the Lord. In verse 18, chapter 4, Ephesians 4.18, he says, they have their understanding darkened, a darkened mind. They're living and walking in darkness. And he goes on to say in chapter 5, verse 8, 
telling us you were sometimes darkness. That was us in our unregenerate state, sometimes darkness. He doesn't tell them or us that we were in darkness. He says you were darkness. Darkness itself, under the control and influence of what we're reading back in verse 12 of chapter 6, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. So the world is influenced slaves and captives of darkness. Is that not what it's teaching us? So here's the point I want to make with all that. Everyone can wake up now. Here's the point I want to make about that there are rulers of darkness and that people are bound by darkness, right? So we think we got loved ones or friends that just something's not right. We wish they'd get saved. They're acting strange. And so we look at it more like, man, they're just hanging around the wrong crowd. If they could just come to church and hear the gospel, hear the truth, if they just stop drinking, they're really a nice, good person at heart. They'd get their lives right with the Lord. They just see that the path they're on is bad. Everything would be fine. And we tend to look at it that way a lot of times, don't we? But the Bible says they're walking in darkness because the devil has blinded their minds with darkness. That's what 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says. The God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. It's more than just you need to have a better approach and how to speak the gospel to them. It's more than just they need to have a better environment or they just need to come to church. It's more than that. He's blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And that's what we're reading here. That's how it's working in Ephesians 6.12. There are rulers of the darkness of this world. And so here's what I would say. And I've got several loved ones that are in darkness and I have said the gospel, they could repeat the gospel better than probably most people in the room. This room, they've heard it so much. You want to see them get saved? You want to see your child get delivered from whatever it is? You better get ready for a wrestling match, is what we're learning here. You better get ready for a war. You better get the armor strapped on and be prayed up if you really want to effectively deal with it. Because we're not just dealing with mere men or women. That's what Paul says, is it not? We're not dealing with just flesh and blood issues here. We're dealing with spiritual forces, wickedness, wicked spiritual forces. So these people are under the power of a spiritual being with power. And it's only a power greater than them, than that power, that's going to be able to defeat and get them out of that grip. It's not going to be our ingenuity, our persuasion, our will. Oh, I just want to see them saved so bad. That's not going to get it. So look at Acts 26. That's exactly what Paul says here in Acts chapter 26. He says this. Paul's given his testimony, and when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which you have seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. And here's what I want us to see, verse 18. Look what it says. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light 
and from the power of Satan, so that darkness is a power, and from the power of Satan unto God, why? That they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And so according to Paul and Jesus, people need to be delivered from the power of darkness in order to receive the forgiveness of sins. Is that not what we just read? Look what it says, to open their eyes. Because why? The devil's blinded their eyes and to turn them from darkness and from the power of Satan. That, that has to happen so that they might receive the forgiveness of sins. Sinners need to be released from the power of Satan to turn unto God. That is no small thing. And who has the power to do that? He said, Paul, he said, that's your mission to go do that. And what is Paul telling us? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's not us, but God can, through us, do that, right? It's only the Holy Spirit that can break Satan's stronghold on those we love, those we know, those that are under the influence of darkness and can't see the truth. It's a spiritual problem. We have access to that power, don't we? Going back to what we said at the beginning, what kind of power is that? That mighty power, the power that raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And he says, you have that mighty power. Not only that, he commands us to be strong in it. It's a command. It's not an option. Colossians 1.13 says that you don't have to turn to it. It says the same thing. It says we have literally, Colossians 1.13, been plucked out from the powers of darkness, the clutches and powers of darkness, and placed over in the kingdom, it says, of his dear son. It talks about being translated. It's something God has to do spiritually to take us out of those clutches of darkness. They're not letting go easy. And to translate us over into another kingdom. That's what's happened. It says he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Anyone that's a Christian and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, if you could turn to one more place. I'm not stopping, but I only have one more scripture to turn to. Because you need to see that he has power. He's that strong man armed. But he is not a strong man armed that we have nothing we can do about. So if you'll turn over to Luke 11. Luke 11, verses 14 to 23. Luke 11, beginning in verse 14, it says, And he, Jesus, was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. But some of them said, Well, he cast out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. And if Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? So there, he's got a kingdom. Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub, and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I, Jesus says, by the finger of God, cast out devils, by the Spirit of God he did that, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. But well, look what he says here in verse 21. He's talking about the devil. When a strong man armed keeps his palace, his goods are in peace. But that isn't where it ends. Verse 22, 
but when a stronger than he shall come upon him, that's the Lord, and overcome him, he takes from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divides his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathers not with me scatters. So Jesus is a power greater than the strong man, comes upon him, and he has overcome him and has given us that same overcoming power. We don't need to let the devil in our families, in our lives, have the victory over us. It should never be the case. And listen, if you're going, this strong man armed, if you're going on a mission field, and some people are going out doing mission work here, you need to understand that. It's just not a matter of going out and preaching to these lost people. Have we not seen? They are in the grip of darkness. And you've got to do more than just show up and preach. You better be prayed and fasted up, I would recommend, before you go in there. If you want God to use you. Now, the devil might leave you alone if you're just showing up. And guess what? Nothing much is going to happen either. I guarantee it. Not much of truth. You may get decisions. But who wants decisions? We want people being brought out of that kingdom of darkness and translated. Something has to happen there. Some warfare has to go on. This guy, Michael Pocock, I think that's how you say his name, he went to Nepal, India in 1991. Well, in 1950, Nepal, India only had 25 known Christians in that nation. At the time this book I was reading about this was written, it was either 91 or after, they had almost a half a million. And so Michael Pocock went there, and he's interviewing first-generation believers, the ones that got out of Hinduism, that came out of that. And he was asking them, what brought you into Christianity? And the most frequent response that he said they had was they were experiencing difficulties with demons. And they said, we tried many remedies, many ways out, including going through exorcism by Hindu priests, and nothing worked. They weren't set free. They were just frustrated about it. And in response to their desperation, people that knew, they said, go to the Christians. They'll know how to handle it. And they did. And they went to these Christians I mean, this is a book they had me read at the Baptist Seminary. Went to these spirit-filled Christians who delivered these people from the power of darkness, preached the gospel to them, and they got genuinely saved. They received the gospel. And I could give you a ton of other stories that are up-to-date stories of where this is happening in Latin America and Africa and different places in South America and Asia, but not in the United States. You know why? Because we secularize all demonic activity. It's medication. It's hospitals. It's all of that. And we don't attribute anything almost to the devil anymore as far as something we can resist and overcome. That's us, but that's not the rest of the world. We're living in a fairy tale land here in America in a lot of ways. So when Jesus sent the 70 out, so we've got to get back to what the Bible says, not what our culture says, not what American Christianity says, what the Bible says. When he sent the 70 out in Luke 10, what's the first thing he told them? First thing he said is the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. He said, this is something you all should be praying about. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And I would say that's the way it is now. We should be praying that God will send, he's sending some, and maybe there's more to be sent. Laborers from this church. They need prayer. But then it said, well, it was on to say, amongst other things, that he gave them power to heal the sick. He gave them power to heal the sick and to say unto them, here's what this is showing you all. 
this power to heal the sick and cast out demons, that the kingdom of God has come. That's what it's all about. Demonstration of the kingdom of God, of which we're all a part of. If you're a Christian in here, and they came back, we know it says with joy. They are thrilled. And you know why? Because they realized that that power he gave them, it worked. And here's what they said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And I see he is a defeated foe, fell from heaven. That's coming from Isaiah 14. He had tried to exalt himself up and God said, I cast him down. And that's what Jesus is saying there. He's defeated. And that's the way it should be in our church. Jesus should look at our church and say, I looked at your church and I saw Satan cast down like lightning because you all took the power that you had and authority over him. Like Brother Hamilton would say, it's enough. Time to stop. That's what I hope we're going to see through this study. And he went on to tell them, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He says, behold, look, I give unto you, that's us, power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Now, do we believe that or not? And nothing, he says, shall by any means hurt you. And that's the power that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us, power and authority over the devil and his demons. He has fallen from heaven. We don't have to fear the roaring lion, do we? We don't have to be the strong man armed. What am I going to do? Get my Colt 45? No. We're not fighting flesh and blood. We don't have to fear the strong man armed. But we do need to do what? Put on the whole armor of God and be strong in his mighty power. We do need to do that. That is a responsibility and a command that we have. So let me say this. The Bible, this Bible is the ultimate solution. It really is. I truly believe it. To every problem that the world faces in our church. The ultimate answer. So it explains, we're seeing here, it explains unlike the world, they don't understand what the source of the problem is. We do now, don't we? It's the devil, principalities, powers. They're wreaking havoc in this world. That's the source. We understand that, don't we? They're organized. They're intelligent. They're powerful. And it gives the only true solution. And what is it? We've just been talking about it. It'll be about the 20th time I said it, maybe. We've got to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Isn't that the solution for us as Christians to deal with things and to put on the full armor of God? And all of that is done through prayer in the spirit. Got to get back to prayer if we want to walk in victory. So let me end with this illustration. So I knew this teenage boy, teenager I met. His name was Dave. And Dave went and watched The Exorcist back in the day. So when I was a teenager, that was a popular movie. A lot of people were watching it. A lot of people picked up a lot of spirits through that. And Dave did. And Dave went and watched that movie. He's a good Catholic boy. And he went from being a nice, gentle football player boy, just a model student, a model kid for his parents. He came out of that, and all of a sudden, he changed to someone who was totally out of control. A few days after watching that movie, his mom hears all this ruckus upstairs. He had just totally torn apart his bedroom. And she is like, I don't know what has come over my Dave. 
He is not the same person that he was before. His countenance changed, and he had uncontrollable behavior at school and everywhere he was going. His mother is beside herself. We're saying the world has no clue. We do. She's beside herself, and she's crying out for help. And you know what? The help she received is all the world knew to do. They said, you need to get him on medication, and they put him in a mental hospital. That was their answer to him. So it wasn't salvation. It wasn't deliverance. It wasn't the Lord Jesus Christ. That wasn't their answer. Medication and counseling. So I met Dave at the point of medication and counseling. Dave wasn't acting all crazy at the time, but he wasn't delivered because that medication just had him all subdued or whatever. Me and Dave would go out to eat. And we'd go over to this Friendly's ice cream place and get Coke and ice cream. And one time I remember thinking, it feels like a fan is on in here. And I realized it was Dave. He was, had this spirit of fear he picked up from watching that movie that, he, that medication can't deliver you of. And he was just so nervous to be with me, to talk with me, that he was hyperventilating. And I was feeling it. <sighs> That's what he would do. And he never got delivered of that spirit of fear. That I know. And so, yeah. You can pick up a spirit, and you can get somebody medicated and give them some counseling. And Dave, look, he left the hospital. He got a job. He was able to cope. He never got delivered, though. He's coping. Is that what Jesus promised? He says, you shall know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. Not a crazy person the rest of your life. Not an alcoholic the rest of your life. Not a heroin addict the rest of your life. You can be delivered because it's spirits behind that stuff. So what's the Bible's answer? It's Mark 5. I said, the Bible has got the answer. It's Mark 5, the Gadarene demoniac. You know what it says about that man? If you read all three accounts, that he had devils a long time. This guy wore no clothes. It says he didn't live at home. He didn't live in a home, but he lived in tombs. Lived with dead people. He was exceeding fierce, it says, so that no man could pass by. People were scared to death of him wouldn't even pass by where he lived. And always night and day, it said, he is crying out and cutting himself. Night and day. I mean, that guy's twice the case of my friend Dave with what he was manifesting. And so what's the answer? Jesus came on the scene, didn't he? With the armor of God and the power of the Spirit. And the only counseling Jesus gave that man is he asked the chief demon that was in him what his name was. That's the counseling he got. And what that spirit said, my name is Legion. And we are many. And he cast Legion out of that man along with the rest of them, right? Unclean spirits, the Bible says. And so the spirits then that were in that man trying to kill him, they didn't need to be medicated. They needed to be cast out. So those same spirits that were trying to kill him Guess what they did do succeed because they're spirits of suicide, right? When they went in those pigs, those pigs, first thing they do, because they, they don't, can't control those spirits, rush down and kill themselves, right? They don't know how to resist like a man does. Now, what about the aftercare? What was the aftercare? We find that man, what? It says he's sitting on a rock, clothed, got his clothes on. And what? In his right mind. That's how God works. That's what we're saying. That's the spiritual armor. That's what it'll do. And the power of the Spirit and the armor of God, that's what'll happen. And all he wanted to do, this man, was follow the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's God's answer. And Jesus said, nope, I want you to go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and has had compassion on you. Praise God. Now that is a testimony to God's power, his faithfulness, and that's how it works. So let me end by saying we are holding on right here to God's answer on how to cope in these last days that are coming. All of us need to know and take seriously the demonic activity we will face in a lot of different ways. Because Paul says in the last days there will be seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Did he not? And it talks about the Antichrist, and it says the Antichrist spirit is already here, and that there are many Antichrists already here, just not the Antichrist yet. But talking about him, think we don't need spiritual power against this? It says even him, Paul wrote in Thessalonians, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. You know why they perished? He says, because they received not the love of the truth. They weren't willing to accept this as the answer. And they accepted other things as the answer. And he's given us the answer. So, for the last time, we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and to put on the whole armor of God. Look, that's what we got here at Ephesians 6, 13. He says, wherefore, let Paul say it, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And I'd like to close by reading a hymn to you. Martin Luther wrote this hymn and it basically sums up my message. I could have just read the hymn and stopped. Some of you said, I wish you had. Well, I'm about ready to stop. Listen to these words, though. It's a great song, and I'll tell you, if you want to hear this song and bring yourself to tears, or it'll bring you up out of your chair cheering, Steve Green does a version of A Mighty Fortress Is Our God on YouTube. You can watch it. I'm saying the first time I heard that, I literally came out of my chair praising the Lord. He just brings that song to life. But here's how it goes. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide in other words, if we trusted in ourselves, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to him abides, talking about the Lord Jesus.
that word above all earthly powers. No thanks to them. They tried to kill him, but he abides. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen. Great song. Amen. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the word that you've given us and the insight that you've given us into how our enemy operates. But more than that, Lord, we just thank you for the revelation that you'll give all of us and that you'll increase that we can know the mighty power, the resurrection power that you have given each and every one of us as Christians. It's our right and that we have authority over the devil. And I just ask you, Lord, you'll just impress that on all of our hearts and that we will be willing to wrestle and battle with the forces of darkness to see our loved ones set free and to see others set free. And we just thank you, Father, that you'll give us all hearts that way and increase our desire to read your word, to read your truth, and to pray and to pray in the spirit that we can know that power in our lives. And I thank you that you'll do that for this church here. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.